Well, good morning. Have your faces thought out yet from all that singing? So good to see all of you here on this uh, beautiful yet very, very cold morning um, on this first Sunday of the new year. There's a lot of things that I'm excited about that are before us in this new year here at 3rd. One of the things that I'm most excited about um, is the official launch of our parish life ministry here at 3rd that we have been talking about and praying about and praying, planning for and preparing for for almost two years now. If you are uh, visiting or new here, basically what we are doing is we believe that many of us are just longing uh, in this world of loneliness and disconnection to know what it is to be in community, um, to know to be connected into authentic relationships, uh, to walk closely with others as we seek to know God, and to actually have purpose, especially where we live in the neighborhoods, the parts of the city that we live in. And so beginning this month, at the end of this month, if you're a part of Third, not only will you be part of the big congregation, but you will be a part of a smaller group within the congregation called a parish. It's a group of about 150 people. We're going to have 12 parishes uh, within our church that are that are distributed geographically around the area, depending on where you live. Uh, within each parish, there will be leaders, the elders and deacons that help connect you in the parish and care. Uh, there will be parish groups that you can join. Uh, there will be ways that you can get engaged uh, geographically in a sort of a missionary way where you live. So what we're doing is at the end of this month, on January 21st and 28th, down in the Fellowship Hall, at the end of the building, from 9.30 to 11.30, you can go down there anytime you want in the Fellowship Hall, and it's going to be like this awesome parish fair. You can go in, and there will be big maps in the center of the room. You can find where you live in Richmond, and then you can find where your parish is, one of the 12 parishes. And then you can look around and see which one you're in, and you can go to meet people who are leading that parish, and you can meet friends. You can probably figure out, wow, you only live around the corner from me. You can sign up for a parish group. You can figure out ways that you can quickly get connected there. So um, it'll be fun. There'll be like balloons and lots of merch, like magnets and things like that that you can put in your fridge. You know, so um, come. It'll be really fun. Uh, 21st and 28th, 930 to 1130. I hope you're really excited like I am to get started with this. Also, uh, this month, this morning, we begin uh, a new four-week sermon series like we do often in January, a four-week vision series. Um, And this month, we're going to begin this year with beginnings, with the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2. Specifically, we are going to look together at four great beginnings in the Scripture in Genesis 1 and 2. Today, uh, we'll be looking at the beginning of creation. Next week, we'll look at the beginning of humanity. The following week, we'll be looking at the beginning of community. And then finally, we'll look at the beginning of work. These four great beginnings that make up our life. And in many ways, these represent the four relationships of our lives. You really can only have four relationships. Did you know that? Relationship with God relationship with yourself, relationship with others, and relationship with the created order. These are the four relationships you were made for. And what the Bible calls shalom or peace or wholeness means that those four relationships are are all flourishing. And we want you to begin this year with those relationships flourishing. And everything we do as a church this year, we want those relationships to be flourishing. So today uh, we begin with the beginning of creation, Genesis 1, 1 through 10. So pray with me as we go to God's word. Holy Spirit, come. I need you in my weakness. We all need you in our weakness. 
Open our ears to hear your voice. Open our eyes uh, to see you. Open our hearts to desire you. And then open our wills that we might obey you and give you our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So hear God's word, brothers and sisters. Genesis 1, 1 through 10. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God spoke, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. God spoke again, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water from the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. There is so much here. So much here. We could spend weeks in these 10 verses. I just, just because our time is brief, I just want to focus on this one single verse, the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In that single phrase, there are these two great truths about God, that if you can get these truths into you, if you can drill these truths into your soul, then you will be able to live this year flourishing as the person that you were meant to be. Here's these two great truths. The first is that God is before all things. In the beginning, God. He is before all things. The second great truth is this, is that God creates all things. God created the heavens in the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is before all things. God creates all things. If you can get the first truth into you, we can live this year with purpose. He's before all things. If you can get that second great truth into you, you can live this year with hope. God is before all things. That gives us purpose. God creates all things. That gives us hope. That's where we're going today. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. So let's start. First of all, God is before all things. The very first verse of the Bible gives us the most basic thing that we can learn about God and the most basic truth of our faith in the beginning, God. We've already affirmed this together in the Apostles' Creed. We said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Before you were, before I was, before any of us were, before creation existed, before people, before animals, before oceans and stars and black holes and rivers, before mangoes and muskrats and everything else in all of creation God was. God existed before it all. When nothing was there, when everything was empty, God was fully and present and fully himself in the beginning. God. What was God doing? Have you ever thought about that? I remember when I was about six or seven years old uh, and someone began to share with me that God was always there and there was no beginning. And I tried to think about it and it just started to fry my brain. You know, what was he doing? Was he bored? Was he lonely? Was he sad? Was, was he just desperate for some 
activity? Is this why he created men and women in the world? Is that he was just desperate to be freed from his infinite boredom? No, God was not bored. God was not sad. God was not lonely. God did not need the world. God does not need you or me. God is fully and completely satisfied in himself. The early church fathers spoke of the divine dance of the Trinity, the eternal divine dance that for all ages, for all eternity, before anything that was, God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God of love, bound together in perfect relationships, enjoying each other in eternal happiness, giving themselves fully and freely to each other in unity and love. In the beginning, before anything was, before anything created, there was God, the triune dance of love before all things. He did not need us. He chose to create us, to share with us his dance of love. Now, let me just say this as an aside. It's an important thing to note that Genesis is not meant to be a scientific explanation for how the earth came into existence. Sometimes Christians misunderstand this, and as a result, Genesis is often misread and misinterpreted. I don't have time today uh, to go into those things about evolution and science and old earth and young earth theories, and I'm going to do a podcast about this later this month, so you can be tuned for that. Uh, But this account, here's what I want to say here, that this account is not here mainly to tell us how everything came to be, but who brought everything to be. It is less a scientific explanation than a theological communication about the order of reality, that in the order of things, God comes first. God is preeminent. God is preexistent in the beginning God. This is the first truth of Scripture in the beginning God. Now, when you get this into your soul, it is both confrontational and consoling. It is confrontational because this truth confronts our self-obsessed lives, right? God is at the heart of reality, not you. Against the vanity of our hearts, the prideful strivings of our activity, the idolatries of our age, the message of the Bible is clear. Life is not about you. You are not the meaning of reality. The first subject of this story is God. Most of us live as if the first line of the story is, in the beginning, me. In the beginning, Corey. Or in the beginning, Danny. Or, you know, just insert your name. In the beginning, me. We are our great reference point. We live as if the story of all reality began when I was born, (laughs) that we are the origin. We are what this story is all about. To return to the dance analogy, we live as if we are center stage and the dance is orbiting around us. When my um, sweet girl, uh, one of my daughters, Anna, was about four, uh, we enrolled her in ballet. Now, Anna is a phenomenal athlete, but she does not like dance. She's not interested in dance. She complained about it the whole time. And time came for the great ballet performance. And this was a, shall we say, ridiculous sort of opulent affair for for four-year-olds. And all the little girls came out and they were all wearing their pink leotards and they had these big, poofy, giant tutus and these tiaras. And all the, this whole group of four and five-year-old little girls came running out on the stage and they began to move together in this uh, beautiful, coordinated movement of synchronicity, except for one, little Anna, who stood in the center. (laughs) Just watching. Never moved. Just watched. The whole thing just moved around her. And friends, that is this this glorious image. It's It's a metaphor of the way that many of us live our lives. The center of everything with everything orbiting around us. I might have friends. I might go to church. 
I might even help people or I might give my money away or give to the poor, but ultimately it is all for my good. It's all for me. It's all for my own advancement, my own glory. I am at the center. Imagine a stage with five people or 20 people or 200 people all attempting to dance, but each person insisting that they are at the center. That's not dancing. That's chaos. And that's our world. That's our world. And out of that chaos, out of that meaningless and hazardous dance of a self-centered life, we are being invited by the very first verse in the Bible into a different kind of dance, the dance of the Trinity. We are being invited to order our lives, not with us at the center, but with him at the center, to arrange our lives around this God who is before all things, to arrange our life around him, his glory, his kingdom, his priorities, his worship, not ourselves, not our agenda, needs and desires. In the beginning, God, life is not about you. He is the first subject of this story. And this is confrontational. And although it can be stinging to our fragile egos, ultimately it is freeing. Because when we are at our sanest, when our society is at its sanest, we know that a life centered on and bounded by ourselves is a life that is small, imprisoning, pathetic, and ultimately a nightmare. That we all long to be a part of something and someone bigger than ourselves. John Piper said that the wonderful moments of joy in this world are not moments of self-satisfaction, but self-forgetfulness. Who stands at the edge of the Grand Canyon and contemplates their own greatness? If you do, that's pathological, (laughs) right? We all know that we were made for a magnificent joy that comes from outside of ourselves, and that one outside of us is God, the one before us, the one who is after us, the one who made us for no other reason than to share his love for us. He is before all things, and that is liberating. It's liberating, friends, to know that I am a part of something larger than my own tiny self and desires. To know that I am loved not just by me, but by the God who is the creator of heaven and earth. To see the troubles of my life, to see your troubles and struggles and nightmares and difficulties, which often feel like they are bigger than heaven and earth, that destroy heaven and earth, but to see them in their proper proportions under the reign of the God who made all things and orders all things. See, a life centered on God is a free life. As It says in Romans 8, I love this translation, obsession with self is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Don't you want that? Don't you want a spacious, free life? So as you begin this new year, as we begin this new year together, let's begin it with God. Bertrand Russell, who was a famous atheist, once said, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. And if this world you know, can only be explained through natural and accidental biological purpose processes, then there is no purpose to life. And you are at the center of your own short and meaningless story. But it's not true. He is before all things. He is the subject of the story, and therein you find your purpose to order your life around him, the one who's before you. And whatever you think about Rick Warren's book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, I love the way he opens it. He says, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It is far greater than your family, your career, and your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. So friends, as you begin this new year, as you start to think about your goals and your resolutions, don't start with the wrong starting point. Don't start with yourself. 
Don't start thinking about what I want to do and what my resolutions are, what are my goals. That will never actually get you to the meaning that you're after. Begin with God and not just any God, the triune God of love who is before all things and invites you into his love through Jesus Christ. As Colossians 1 says, for everything above and below, visible and visible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So true purpose is centering your life around the one you were made for and the one you were made to worship. You can do something, seriously, listen to me. You can do something as mundane as uh, filling out a spreadsheet or eating lunch in the cafeteria of your nursing home or changing disgusting diapers or sweeping a floor and you do it ordered around the God who made you and for his glory and you are doing work of infinite meaning. How will you freshly make God first place in your life this year? In our church, how will we make God first place? As we launch this parish ministry, as we do exciting things together, this is not about our church. It is not, say, in the beginning third. No, this story is not about us. It is not about making a great church. It's about a church making God great. It is about giving God, the one who is before us and the one who will be way after us, giving him the glory he deserves. That, let that be our supreme ambition in the beginning, God. Therein is the purpose of our lives of this church. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sister. I love shaking up those Presbyterians, man. <laughs> we need more of y'all in this place. It's funny. When, never mind. I was going to tell a joke, but I want to. <laughs> uh, in the beginning, God. God is before all things. Okay, so that's the first great truth. Do you believe that truth? If you can get that truth into you, I'm serious. Whatever you were doing this year, whether you're dealing with chronic illness or a meaningless job or whatever it might be, you can live a life of great purpose and meaning. God is before all things. The second great truth is this, that God creates all things. And if you can believe that, if you can get that into your soul, you can live this year with hope. It's interesting, um, but the Bible, the first verse of the Bible doesn't just address God's existence. It addresses his activity. Not just the who, but what the who was doing. And what was he doing? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. One translation says the world was empty and void. Uh, the message translation says there was nothing but a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness and inky blackness. And the spirit of God hovered over and God spoke, let there be light, and it was so. Any of y'all done that recently? Just speak, bam, it's so. <laughs> God spoke and it was so. See, Walter Brueggemann says, the Old Testament scholar, that not only is Genesis meant to be a description of the purpose and the order behind all things, but it was also originally meant to be a pastoral word of encouragement for people who were experiencing hopelessness. Did you know that the first people who read the book of Genesis were most likely 6th century Jews who were living as exiles in the enemy place of Babylon? They had been taken there and dragged there. They were people who had lost hope. They had been defeated by their enemies. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was in ruins. They were humiliated. The future was bleak. It appeared that the gods of Babylon were the gods who controlled the future. All hope was lost. Now, can you imagine being in that situation and hearing these words? In the beginning, when all was void and nothingness and emptiness and darkness reigned, God spoke and he brought life. You see, this is written not just to tell the story of our origins, but the message of hope to a weary and despairing people who looked at their lives and all they saw was hopelessness. This is a message to them that God brings a new beginning. God brings new beginnings 
even in the midst of nothingness. God speaks life out of darkness, out of chaos, out of emptiness. God brings light and life. This is a proclamation of the gospel of good news in the very first verse of the Bible. That out of darkness, chaos, sin, and death, God brings life. Brueggemann says this. The good news here is that there are beginnings. There are not simply repetitions, moving pieces around, or copying. There are beginnings, and they are wrought by the speech of God, which evokes among us a new world. And we know this good news is in Jesus, the word of God who was before all things. I love that. Not just repetitions, but new beginnings. That is the amazing good news of the gospel, that God can bring new beginnings, new creation out of the most dark and desperate places. Do you believe that? Is this a message that you need to hear in some dark and desperate place in your own life? Is there some chaotic and meaningless repetition in your life that needs a new beginning. In my car, I have a CD player that plays, you can stick six CDs into. Unfortunately, I only have about six CDs. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to the rest of my CD collection that I collected in the 80s. Most of it is Phil Collins, unfortunately. And so I have these six CDs in my car and they keep repeating over and over and over again. I keep listening to the same mind-numbing music over and over again. And I can't buy any more CDs because they don't make them anymore. Some of y'all millennials, they don't even know what a CD is. You know, they don't even know what this is. A lot of us find ourselves with the same things on repeat over and over again. You know, devastating circumstances. A soundtrack of shame that keeps replaying. An addiction that you can't shake a habit that is destroying you, a relationship, maybe even your marriage, that seems beyond repair. And you've lost hope. You've tried everything. Nothing's fixing it, and the same things keep happening. It's like your life is stuck on repeat. Happening over and over. God wants to give you a new beginning. That's the message of this verse. Hope is essentially the capacity to believe in a new beginning. The astonishing truth of this verse in the book of Genesis is that there is a God of love that despite the chaos and the emptiness and the sorrow that you see in your own life and the world around you, God speaks through Jesus Christ and life springs forth. Something out of nothing. Beauty out of chaos. God brings new beginnings. Where in your life do you need that? Paul says it like this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul takes the creation story and he applies it to describe what God now does in people. He's probably even thinking of his own conversion, that into his own angry, bitter, and murderous heart, God shined light. Jesus literally woke him up and made him new. He is a new creation. And this is what God loves to do. Into the darkness of sin, the chaos of our shame, the work of the self-centeredness of our lives. Jesus shines his light and makes us new. He brings a new beginning. Brothers and sisters, God wants to do this in you. Do you believe that? I know he wants to do this in some of you. Some of you, some of you have made a mess of your life. And you think that it's now hopeless. You've lived centered around yourself for too long and you've made a mess of it. Jesus wants to give you a new beginning. Some of you have lost hope for something in your life, for someone in your life. You have given up. You are stuck on repeat. Jesus can bring a new beginning. No matter the struggle or the habit or the circumstance, he can do this. 
Do you not know the words of our Lord who said, behold, I am making all things new? Do you know those words? He is the one who was before all things, through whom all things were made. He is renewing all things. The same power in Genesis 1 that brought everything out of nothing is now bringing new things in you. So stop your pessimism. Christians are not pessimists. Make yourself available to God. Ask him for help. Reach out to someone, a brother or a sister. Admit the place of desperation, of sin, of sadness, of sorrow, where you need God's new beginning. Cooperate with his grace. Draw on the means of grace. Scripture, prayer, confession, worship, community. He is speaking new beginnings out of chaos. And listen, we're called as a church not just to believe this for ourselves, but to be ambassadors for this new beginning to the world. That's what epiphany is about, the light of Jesus extending to the nations. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us this message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. This is our commission, friends. This is why we exist as a church. It's because God is in the business of bringing new beginnings out of nothing. He's done this in us through the grace of Jesus, and we are now called to be ambassadors of this new beginning for people in our world, in your neighbors who are desperate for a new beginning, who are desperate for hope. This is why in our church, our vision is this, called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. God has given us a new beginning through Jesus. And now we're called to be ambassadors of that renewal for the world. This is why we're doing parish life, to get out of our building, to get out of ourselves to get out of 600 Forest Avenue, to get into our neighborhoods where people are longing for this new beginning that only Jesus can bring. That's what we're called to, to be ambassadors of that for the world. So friends, let me sum up. We've learned two great truths today. First, that God is before all things. And if we, therefore, we have purpose. Our purpose is to center our lives around the God who is before us and beyond us and who made us. Let me just be clear what I mean when I say you're call is to center your life around God. I don't just mean like believing in God. Even the demons believe in God. You know, I don't mean just like praying a prayer occasionally when you're in trouble or coming to church. What I mean is centering everything in life around him, letting your relationship with God be the reference point for everything else in your life. That's what it means to be a person of purpose, to order your life around the one who was before you. He's before all things. Second, we learned that God creates all things, and therefore we have hope. Through Jesus, God speaks new beginnings into chaos, into nothingness, and into darkness. So as you begin this new year, and as we prepare to come to the table, I want you to consider maybe one of these two questions. First of all, what is one new thing that you will do to center your life around God this year? What's one new thing you might do? It might be um, a new habit. You might commit to beginning every day with God. That's not a a legalistic thing. That's just ordering your life around the purpose that you were made for. Uh, It might mean um, learning to cultivate your relationship with God. Maybe asking someone to help you do that. Maybe joining a parish group or another group where you can learn to walk with God and make him the center of your life. 
maybe reprioritizing the way you use your time or your money or your resources? What is one new thing I will do to center my life around God this year? And here's the second question you might think about. What is one area of my life where I need God to create a new beginning this year? Some trial, some dark situation you're in, some habit that you need to break, some relationship that seems inescapably broken. What's one area of life where I need God to make a new beginning? So as you come to the table, I mean, you could just do this in your own soul with God, but you could, what you could do, if you, I know some of you are, uh, what do they call it, uh, kinesthetic, kinesthetic learners. <laughs> um, is that right? Is that the right phrase for that? Yes. Help me, teachers. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so if you wanted to, you could rip off, um, see that last page in your bulletin is blank? If you wanted to, you could rip off and write down one of your answers to that question and bring it to God when you come to communion. There's, there's a box here and there. There's one up in the balcony. Um, you can write down something, and, and I'm not going to read it. Nobody else is going to read it. But it's a way for you to imprint and to name what step you will take towards God and or way, the way you need God to take a step towards you. The offer's here, friends. His mercies are new every morning. Even today can be a new beginning with the God who made you and loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus that is literally in the very first verse of the Bible. That you are before all things and out of nothing you brought everything. And out of the darkness and nothingness of our lives, you bring a new creation. Help us as we come to this table to experience your grace freshly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.